Hey, good morning, Northern Hills. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. It's good to be with you here today. For those of you that are here in person and for those of you that are joining us online, we're in the second week of a teaching series called Because I Said So. And so welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope you continue to join us throughout this series. As we launch into today's topic, I want us to think about what determined whether or not you wanted to be like your parents. What determined whether or not you wanted to be like your parents? Because today I'm going to make an argument that what determined how you wanted to be like mom or dad had much more to do with how they behaved than the advice they gave you. I think it's easy for us to fall into the the nugget of wisdom or the advice that we want to give our young people, the people we have influence over. And we maybe even think back to some really good nuggets we gained ourselves as we took from our parents or a coach, a teacher. Uh, But chances are, whether you wanted to be like them or whether you even wanted to be around them, it was because of how they acted. It was because of how they behaved. And not only just behaved towards you, but behave towards one another in their marriage or behave towards just the general public, maybe the people that they worked with, the friends, the family that you interacted with growing up. See, it wasn't about parenting skills because I don't think we would have even at that age been able to articulate the parenting skills that our parents had in those moments. We just watched them and we just watched what they did and what they said but also much more how they acted or how they behaved. And it got me thinking through this week as in preparation for this teaching, if that was true for you and I growing up, then what does that mean for our children? It's not going to be our advice that we give. That will be a part of it. That will be a nugget. But it's going to be how we live that determines maybe whether our children want to be like us. I love that last question on there, right? You want to be like your mom and dad when you grow up. And just some of these young minds articulating that thought. What I love about this is my 10-year-old son who's part of that video, he's still at that manipulating age. <laughs> so I'm, I'm able to, to manipulate. I, it's, it's so funny, like his answer there, sort of little half mom, little half dad kind of deal. I'm like, that's pretty good. I, 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 I'm going to pay you your $60 later for saying that, son. Well done. But there's just something there, right, that uh, right now he's at that age. But at some point in that 10-year-old's life as he gets older and the gospel according to dad Brandon that he doesn't necessarily think is always correct, how is he going to see in me, see in my wife, see in our lives that we are who we say we are, that we are who we are wherever we are? not just Christians at church, not just people that are following Jesus when we're interacting with the people of God, but where we are, wherever, whoever we're with and wherever we are. See, our parents' behavior determined how much respect we had or that we didn't have for our parents, even to this day. It's important to write this down this morning as we we get launched into today's topic. Um, Write this down if you're taking notes at all this morning. Respect. Respect creates influence. Respect creates influence, and respect is maintained by how we behave. I don't know if you ever thought of that, but there's really when there's no uh, respect for somebody, there's no influence. And this gets well beyond parenting. And think of any supervisor you had, think of any person you admire. If you don't respect them, they are not influential to your life. 
We can't forget that respect is determined not by what someone says, but by how they live, how they behave. And if that was true, again, (laughs) and how we perceived our parents and our respect for them, odds are it was a lot of times because they they put uh, their money where their mouth was, so to speak. They acted in the way that they always spoke. And so trust me, if we want that respect later, it's going to start with us now. How do we maintain in the way we behave and the way we live, how do we maintain that respect now with our young people? So pin that idea of this whole behavior and how we live. We'll get back to that. Now, because I said so, <laughs> we, we did this obviously with the irony behind it is it's a parenting tool we've all used, right? Because I said so. Because I said so. But it's a phrase that, yes, was used on us as we grew up and the the phrase that we use today in raising our kids. But many of us that are wise and that have had spent some time raising up young people, what we know is that because I said so can only go so far in the toolkit. It's only a resource that allows us to go so far. Because I said so doesn't influence. It demands. And that's sort of the play on words we're doing with this teaching series. And it's our desire, again, in this teaching series to have a conversation with not only moms and dads, of course, but with aunts and uncles, and with coaches and with teachers and any one of us that has influence in the life of a young person. Grandparents, are you kidding? The influence you have over our young people, right? So when it comes to our kids, when it comes to those young people we have influence over, the question we asked last week as we introduced the series, the question we're going to continue to ask as we move through this series is how do I keep the relationship intact? That's the long-term goal. How do I keep this relationship intact? Because that is the long game in all of these pieces in parenting and influence over young people. Last week we began by connecting the dots and many of us might have considered dots that were a little bit uncomfortable as we talked about the real and the ideal. This real, living in the real world and having real things that we face every single day, but always looking towards the ideal. We talked about how Jesus, he navigated that tension really well. He navigated that tension with grace and truth. And so we talked about how Jesus just, (laughs) he was all grace all the time. He was all truth all the time. And all the while he inspired people, influenced people towards that ideal. Now he never dumbed down the truth to make people feel better, but he never turned down grace, especially when we have needed it most, right? But we talked about how it's going to start with us. And so if I'm asking you to pin that idea of behavior if it, in the way we live, if we're to gain influence with young people, we're going to gain their respect, if we're going to keep that relationship intact, what does God say about behavior? What does God's word say about behavior? But before we get there, have you ever considered why it seems so much easier to look at someone else's kids and give advice on how they should raise their children? You ever notice that? Like maybe some of the people you interact with or or some of the friendships you have, maybe some of the, uh, again, family members you have and you look at your nieces and nephews and you're like, wow, why aren't they doing? And you get in those conversations. I know my wife and I do. How they could or should raise their children. And one of the reasons it's so much easier to know how other people should raise their kids is because their kids' behavior doesn't reflect poorly on us. That's sort of how it plays out, right? Our kids' behavior Our kids' behavior points directly to us. 
And so it's our response to that behavior. It's, if you will, our behavior <laughs> responding to their behavior, how we handle those situations and circumstances. It's a great deal about who and what we're most concerned about when we have that opportunity. When we have that opportunity to behave correctly or incorrectly. And when we get it right, that's a really cool moment. It's a moment of influence. When we get it wrong, eh, not so influential, right? When we're able to respond out of concern for our kids rather than in just response to our kids' behavior, which again, of course, is easy to do. That kids' behavior that is reflecting on us, our response does have the potential to create, I would say, not only teachable moments, but defining moments. And I'll give you an example this morning. When I was in second grade, and I'll just put this into a fun context, okay? When I was in second grade, this was 36 years ago. And so there's something in my mind 36 years ago that I can recall in this encounter that my mom had with faculty at my elementary school and another parent and her son. And so I just want to highlight this, that I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a defining moment in the terms of understanding what my mom stood for, how she would behave in a certain situation. See, she was, she was not looking out for her reputation in this moment. And let me be clear, our reputations matter. I mean, for my mom, of course, she must have internally cared about how she was going to be represented in this situation I'm about to tell you about. Uh, you care about your reputation. I care about my reputation. But our children's reputation is important as well. We can value both of those things. And in life, we're constantly prioritizing values. And our children are watching what we prioritize or if we're prioritizing them in any given moment. So here's how the story goes. Second grade, Mrs. Grant was my second grade teacher. We had a behavior system. It wasn't just grades that were sent home. We had a behavior system that was also sent home. And they were little construction carts. I don't know if you had this in your elementary. This was just ours. And it was basically a stoplight sort of format. <laughs> If you got home with a construction card that was green, you were good. You were go. You weren't disrupting class, and that was a good week of behavior in class. You were contributing to class. It was a good, good week. If you got sent home with the yellow construction card, a little, little trepidation, a little cautionary, hey, maybe have a conversation with your son or daughter because they're starting to disrupt class a little bit more. And if you got sent home with the red one, that meant that you were probably moved <laughs> in class at some point during that week. You were moved away from the class. You had to sit alone. You were a disruption. You were being a class clown. To no surprise to any of you who are watching online, Brandon was sent home with a streak of red cards for a while, okay? And so I had about three weeks of the red construction card that I was sending home. My mom had words with me, and she said, if I see one more of these, we're going to really have a problem. You need to start behaving in class. Sure enough, I had the red construction card on that Friday that I was getting ready to go home with, and I knew, I knew it was going to hit the fan <laughs> when I got home. So I came up with a bright idea that I would lie to all parties. I would lie to my mom, I would lie to my teacher, and just try to figure out some solution. But I brought in a buddy of mine, his name was Stephen, and I said, Stephen, let's do this this week. Let's make up a story that we can color our own cards and that the teacher, Mrs. Grant, allowed us to color our own cards and send them home. Let's get our own piece of paper, we'll marker them up, and then we'll, you know, take them home. Of course, immediately, people found out what we were doing, and it was that day that actually Mrs. Grant found out, faculty found out, and she wanted to have a conversation with our parents. Stephen's mom, 
and Stephen went in first. And the way I interpreted the story and the way I interpret it um, now, especially on this side of it, was they were basically speaking to Mrs. Grandin like, this was Brandon that was the master, mastermind behind this whole deal. He should wear the brunt of uh, the consequences for that. And they would have been right because I really did drag in my buddy into this whole story. And so we go in after Stephen's mom and Stephen walk out. And Mrs. Grant sort of gives us the lay of the land. She's like, well, this is what Stephen's mom described. This is what Stephen sort of describing how he really was just going along with the journey. Brandon, is all, that all true? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's all true. I couldn't lie anymore. And it was my mom's response that fascinated me. 30, 36 years ago that I still remember. My mom looks at Mrs. Grant. She just paused. A woman that was looking to, a single mom, keep in mind that was in a part of the PTA or looking to just build her reputation with the faculty, looking to build her reputation with maybe other parents and just make friends, just have some kind of influence at that time. She paused, she looked straight into Mrs. Grant's eyes. She said, you tell Stephen's mom to raise her kids and I'll raise mine. And it was silence. I don't even remember their interaction really after that. But what I do remember the kicker was is that as we left that classroom and on the ride home, my mom didn't mention once to me, oh, okay, if you ever pull a stunt like that again, there was none of that. She dropped it. She didn't speak to it the whole ride home and she never brought it up again. And in that moment, I felt so drawn into my mom. I felt like my mom made me the most important person in the world. My mom had sided with me rather than against me. Now I knew I was wrong. My mom absolutely <laughs> knew I was wrong, but my behavior didn't dictate hers in that moment. And it wasn't uh, what she said in that moment. It wasn't any kind of advice she gave. She was silent. It was how she acted. And I knew I was important to her, uh, my mom. I, I knew in that moment, even though I wouldn't be able to articulate it, that I was more important to my mom than her public reputation. And this won't surprise you at all. The rest of that semester, all I brought home was green cards. <laughs> all I brought home was the green cards because I had learned my lesson. Write this down. A defining moment can influence more than a teachable moment. A defining moment can influence more than a teachable moment. Now, we love teachable moments as parents. I'm telling you, I have gotten into some dialogue with my six-year-old, my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old, right? When they navigate those ages and my wife has looked at me like, really? Are you doing this dissertation right now? <laughs> like a college dissertation with the six-year-old? We love our teachable moments, but it's the defining ones that can build so much influence in our young people's lives and it's about keeping our ego in check see when our reputation's on the line what do we do and how do we respond how do we behave in those moments when our ego is on the line when we talk about behavior as we stated last week if we're talking about parenting and good parenting and we look to the bible we know that when it comes to good family behavior and when it comes to good examples of parenting that there are virtually none to be found in the Bible. There are virtually none to be found in there. When it comes to examples of real life family dysfunction, the Bible is our source. It's our go-to book, right? But here's what makes the scripture so helpful to us. 
This is what makes the scripture helpful to us. Well, Jesus never talked to parenting directly. He did lay the foundation for parents' behavior by speaking to Christian behavior, by speaking to behavior in general. And he called this a new command. He called this a new command in the book of John. I want us to read this this morning. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That was the new command. And this wasn't a command that was added to some existing commands. This was a new command. And what that meant is that it would supersede all of the existing commands. The secret to parenting, it's found in that new command. It's found in that new system, if you will, of behavior, love one another. And that command is fueled through this value of check your ego at the door. <laughs> check your pride at the door. And why it's so important is because it's exactly what Jesus did. Think about that for a moment. Jesus had every right <laughs> to, to be in the nature of God and in control of everything, perfect in every way, to not check his ego at the door, but we don't see that in the way he lived, right? He kept his ego in check when he had every excuse not to. The apostle Paul actually says that Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or to be leveraged for his own benefit. And so if he didn't, maybe it's a good tool that we shouldn't either. Jesus was God and yet in this value system of love one another, this sacrificial tough love, it's a, if you hate me, that's okay, because I still love you. It's a system that says, I won't do anything for you if it's not good for you, because I love you. Because I love you. And so Jesus gives this new command. He lays down this foundation for behavior, love one another. Well, that's broad, Jesus, <laughs> sort of a broad thought. And what I love about the scripture and why it's helpful is you get the apostle Paul then, that continues, uh, comes along years later, right? And he gives us some handles of what this love one another looks like. And he does that in letters to the Corinthians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and so on. And Paul's showing us that this new command, here's what this new love looks like in the real world. Here's what it looks like in real relationships. Here's how that love behaves. Here's how that love behaves under pressure. Here's how that love behaves at home, how it behaves in raising your children. And I love how he, he, he says this, how, here's how it behaves in his first letter to the Christians that were living in Corinth, which was located in Greece. And so for the remainder of our time today, I just want to land on the beginning of something that many of us will know and summarize this one facet of how love behaves, how it behaves at home. And here it is, we're familiar with it. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, three words to today, love is patient. Love is patient. Remember, this isn't just any kind of love. This is the new command, Jesus' brand of love. This is demonstrated by Jesus. It's demonstrated by Jesus' followers that were commanded to love, and love is patient. You love your son, you love your daughter, you love your student. 
You love your athlete that you're coaching. Love is patient. It's patient. So why did Paul start there? You ever thought about it? You ever wonder, why did he start there? What did he know? One of my worst habits, I think, as our kids were really young, <laughs> and I still do it to this day from here and there uh, from time to time, uh, when my wife would have plans on a weekend, she would say, Brandon, you know, I'm going to go hang out with my sister. Uh, we're going to go do some shopping or we're going to go uh, grab lunch together. And I would say, oh, so you need me to babysit? <laughs> Guys, don't say that. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, I, I still, again, I still do it. Like, so, so I have to babysit. And she just look at me. She's like, no, you have to parent. You get to parent today. But it's, it's so funny. I think in that moment, when it comes to this love is patient kind of deal, if I really dug down, and I didn't say this when she said, you have to parent today, but I know I was thinking, I know I've thought it before. It felt like this interruption almost. It felt like this interruption in my schedule. What was going on for me? And I had to stop and I had to slow down. And the love is patient meant I had to move more at someone else's pace than my own pace. Here's the differentiation between when we're not patient, what are we? We're pushy. We tend to be pushy. I want you to write that down. Love isn't pushy. It's patient. Love isn't pushy. It's patient. What happens when we refuse to move at another person's pace, when our day is disrupted because we have to babysit, we become a pushy person. We're, we're a little bit more self-assertive. We become overly aggressive because we, we want what we want. And that's Paul's point. I think that's why he starts there. Love chooses to move at another person's pace. That's requiring that person not to move at ours, but requiring that person just to live in theirs. But we don't do that well. We don't do patience well because that's not natural to us. Our pace is what's natural to us. And so the apostle Paul, he's saying, God moved at our pace. And if God moved at our pace, maybe we should move at our children's or our coworkers or our spouses, right? And if we don't do that, what happens? Literally what happens? Think about it. If we insist at moving at our pace, if we become pushy people, what happens is that we separate ourselves. We separate ourselves from that given relationship, whatever that relationship is. When we get pushy, we separate ourselves from our children emotionally, relation, relationally, because what we're doing is we're pushing them beyond their capacity, beyond their capacity. And so that separates and that frustrates. And it's amazing to me, the only time Paul is specifically speaking to parents Within all of the scripture, check it out. He's directing this to fathers in a different letter. Here's what he's writing. And he says this, it's on this pushy continuum. In Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate. Don't be pushy. <laughs> don't provoke them. Don't stir them up. Don't insist on winning. Don't insist on outsmarting or out-talking or out advising them. Don't push too hard, don't push too fast because the end result's gonna be separation. The end result is gonna be frustration and maybe your kids are gonna become discouraged or disheartened or they're gonna lose motivation. Maybe they'll just stop altogether 
and that's going to include separation. And if we're looking to keep the relationship intact for the long game, how interesting that he would start with love is patient. How interesting he would start there. And maybe it's not surprising that he didn't address this to mom and dads, but just fathers. Love isn't pushy. It's patient. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and I understand what you're thinking because I was living right there as getting ready for this and speaking to this. Well, hold on, Brandon. Look, that's great. I'm glad that the Bible instructs us that way. But if we don't push our kids, if we don't expect more of them, if we don't expect more than they expect for themselves, if we don't ensure that they reach their maximum potential, then they may turn out. And I was right there. And what I would say is what I was trying to just have a conversation with God, they would turn out what? They would turn out what? Because I'll finish that sentence for us. They may not turn out how I want them to turn out. They may not turn out how I want them to turn out or what I want them to become. And I would encourage you what I'm attempting to encourage myself on, just to pause and think about that. Is that what really, is that really what I want? Is that really what I want? Wouldn't it be better for them to discover who God created them to be, who they were born to be, and then facilitate that? Because I think that's what great parents do. I think that's what great parents do. There's no father I've ever come into contact with that wishes they would have pushed their kids a little harder. There's no father I've ever had a conversation that just wished they would have pressed in that much more. Now, I've met plenty of fathers. I've had plenty of other conversations that have little to no relationship with their adult children because they were so insistent that their kids become what they maybe failed to become themselves or to become what they felt like they should have become. And that relationship is no longer intact. But our goal is to say the relationship is intact long-term at all cost. So should we inspire our kids? Of course. Should we motivate them? Of course. But should we push them to the point of exhaustion? Push, push, pushy. Should we push them to the place of frustration? No. Should we push them to where they're comparing? Push them in the shame piece? No. Because parents, that's about us. That's not about them. Do you know what the number one predictor of relational and professional success is? The number one indicator, if you actually do a study on this. And I, I know it's easy for us a little bit to lean towards the professional success kind of deal. I'm not really talking just to the professional success. I'm talking to both of these. The number one predictor of both relational and professional success is self-awareness. It's self-awareness, and the cousin of that is emotional intelligence. So what results in this personal security as opposed to insecurity, the number one contributing factor to that person's security is self-awareness. And do we know, do we know where that's built in a teenager's life, in a young child's life? We can say through culture, society, and schools, but that's built in our homes. That's our home life. So a question for us as we wrap up this morning's teaching. And these questions, again, that's why I love this series, gang. I love this series because to me it's for all of us, whether we're parents, 
whether we're aspiring parents, whether we're people that just have been called to have influence in the life of a young person. These are questions for all of us. Ask yourself, who feels rushed by you? Who feels rushed by you? Who feels unnecessarily pressured when you walk into a room? Maybe even an unhealthy pressure when you walk into a room. When you walk through the front door, who are you driving away in your effort to bring out the best in that individual? And I think that can impact our workplaces, that can impact our marriages, of course that can impact our parenting. And you may have to go back, what I had to do <laughs> is go back. And, and even this story that I shared this morning about my mom, there's just some redemption that God's doing in my heart, in my life, in the, the relationship that I've had with my mom to bring that to the forefront. But you know what? We may have to go back. Lord, is the way I'm on the pushy or patient continuum, has that been formed through how my parents parented? Has that been informed with uh, what I saw in them? Where I fall on the patient pushy continuum is a little bit of how I grew up. Or does that fall uh, somewhere in my marriage or at work or with my kids? Where, where am I pushy, Lord? Where am I patient, Lord? And perhaps some of us have some work to do because love is patient. Love is patient and it's not pushy. It does not exasperate. It doesn't drive this wedge. Love doesn't allow ego and reputation to dictate the tone of the relationship. Love picks up someone's natural pace. And it pushes our pace to the side and it braces their pace and their rhythm according to what love looks like. Because that patience is what's going to maintain influence all along the way. So what could that look like? What could that look like this next week in each of our lives? If we were to just take somebody in our life that God's identifying right now, each of our hearts, and say, I'm going to move more at their pace this next week. Because it's imperative when it comes to keeping a relationship intact long-term to have that kind of influence in their life. What we should fear more about is if we weren't to do that, if we weren't to just, because I know I mentioned that, and especially for some of us that have kids, we're thinking, oh, move at my kid's pace. Do you know my kid? <laughs> that freaks us out. I get it. But what if? We should fear more that if we didn't adjust to that pace, maybe we'll lose the relationship with our child now or that we'll lose that relationship later. So what would it take? What would it look like to adjust? Because love requires that. Love requires that. And I would just conclude with, aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful that our heavenly father, that he chose to move at our pace? That just at the right time, for each of us, he came and he moved at our pace. Maybe when we were in rebellion, maybe we were re when we were in a place that we didn't want to hear anything from God, he maybe sent someone to invite you to church or he had a relationship that came into your life and over coffee or over a meal, they were able to exclaim, explain to you, excuse me, the gospel in a real way that just met your heart. And that was that our pace, that God decided to move and perfect, if you will, those moments. Because our Heavenly Father is so patient. Ooh, thank you, God. Thank you that you're so patient with us. 
look, nothing will surface. Nothing will surface. We know this as parents. We know this if you have any kind of, we all have influence with the young person. Nothing is going to surface self-centeredness or pride or selfishness or ego quicker than being in the life of a young person. (laughs) Because we're not unlike them. We all came into this world, every human being came into this world and we were selfish. We wanted what we wanted when we wanted it. That's just truth and now. That was the one agenda, right? It's the same agenda that our kids have, but it's the same agenda we had as kids. And what's in it for me? I want warmth and I want my food. I want my binky, right? And we came into this world with all this want, and basically it was if I don't get my way, I'm going to get in your way, and I'm going to make your life really difficult. Maybe I'm going to make your life miserable. You're smiling and you're laughing because you know that to be true. That's how we came into this world. But the God in heaven who is so patient with us, whose behavior, model of behavior, the new love command that we can look to, said, I am patient with you, and I am looking to in my people, the people of God, have you gain influence by the way you move at others' pace. And so Jesus' love and that new commandment instructs us to tame our pride. It requires us to protect our children and their reputation instead of looking to protect our own. And if we live long enough, we get this. If we live long enough, our kids and our young people, they're going to have to move at our pace. I tell Elodie all the time, I changed your diapers, girl, but you're going to be changing mine too, all right? That's just how it works. And so our responsibility now as people of God, as we look to a patient God, is to say, Lord, help us to raise children that are patient because one day they're going to have to move at the pace of others. And so not just what have they been told, But what have they seen lived out in each of our lives as we become people of God that aren't pushy, but are patient? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for loving us the way you do, for being so patient with us, God. God, help us to grow in that aspect this next week. Lord, we know that respect is what gains influence and how to model that, Lord, is gonna be a big part of our behavior. And God, thank you for loving us when we just don't get it right. (laughs) My anger, my pride, my reputation, my ego get in the way. I wanna be God a lot. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for having so much patience with me. I pray that you would just reach all of our hearts for this idea, Lord, that when we become the people that are modeling the very thing, when we're living out, not pushiness, but patience, God, that we can raise up a next generation that sees you in a better and a bigger way. Lord, we're going to look to you to help guide us. Thank you for this morning. We pray all these things. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.